Hey y'all, my name is Dr. Jill Baker. I'm a wife, a mom, a community health researcher, and an executive director. And I'm Sonora Joy Allwood. I'm a wife, a mom, a nurse, a holistic activist, and an entrepreneur. We're Black mothers and Black professionals from the Bronx who experience infertility and traumatic birth. You are listening to A Tribe Called Fertility, a community for BIPOC parents, mothers, and fathers who are on fertility journeys. We are here to help prevent maternal and infant mortality. In this show, we hope that you will feel empowered, supported, and inspired. You are not alone in this journey. Welcome to A Tribe Called Fertility. Welcome listeners to a new episode of A Tribe Called Fertility podcast, your favorite podcast about all things infertility, fertility, Black maternal health, Black reproductive health, families, the list goes on and on and on. We are now on uh, season two. Can't believe we are on season two of the show and we are super, super excited. And so this season, you know, we're trying to up our game and just step it up and, you know, talk about some different things that we haven't had the chance to talk about yet on the show. So with that said, today we're going to have a conversation, a very, you know, just dialogue and a deep conversation and talk about adoption in Black families. And uh, adoption is another form of, you know, motherhood. It's another form of parenthood. Some of my favorite shows, I think some of our favorite shows have been highlighting adoption. The first on my mind is This Is Us and my favorite character, Randall, and his, you know, whole him exploring his identity and him being adopted and how that's affected him in his whole life course and how I felt the show has done a great job with just showcasing how much that does impact someone and particularly when you're a person of color which I think adds another level of um, just how you feel about yourself and how you then carry yourself as a parent in the world. So today we are very lucky to have uh, one of my favorite sisters and favorite women in the world on the show. I was thinking today, I was like, wow, we've known each other for a very long time. Like we've known each other before we had kids, which was like a whole other life. Yes. Like let's, let's think about life before the kids. That was great. That was nice. <laughs> we could have had some more time. Carefree. Look, let's have a moment <laughs> of silence. <laughs> let's have... A moment, a moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> when life is four kids. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true. That's so true. So we have on the show today as our special special guest, Mrs. Alicia Stevenson. Like I said, we go way way back because our husbands have been best friends since their freshman year of college at Drexel. I think they were. 17. I don't know. They were very young. They looked like little kids. Like completely different people. <laughs> we look at pictures and we're like, wow, they look so young. And so, yes. and then, you know, so they, we've been fortunate to um, have moved to Jersey in the past two years. And crazily, we're like literally 10 minutes away from each other, which is insane. The commute could not be better. <laughs> yeah. I never thought we would be in Jersey. <laughs> I was like, no. But here we are, and I'm I'm very, very thrilled um, that we are. So before we start, I want to share, you know, Alicia Stevenson and all of the things. Well, not all of them, but uh, some of the highlights of her life and her career. So Alicia Stevenson has worked in education for over 15 years. The majority of her career has been spent in the K-12 sector, and she has recently transitioned to a role in higher education. In her role, she has always been a staunch advocate for the underserved and minority groups. She is currently a grants project manager for Rowan School of Medicine. She received her undergraduate degree from her coveted HBCU, Delaware State University, and her master. <laughs> of course, you got a shout out. And then her <laughs> master's degree in educational leadership from Arcadia University. She is happily married to the love of her life, Deshaun, and they celebrated 10 years of marriage in 2020. You got to give it up for that. Every year, you got to give it up 10 years for sure. Together, they have an amazing quartet of children, 
And in 2018, Alicia took a leap of faith and started her own business. And through Perfectly Placed, she provides cleaning and organizational services to families and businesses in the tri-state area, including me and my family yesterday. So she helped me with our closet, which was a hot mess, and Gavin's room, which was a hot mess. We will show some before and after pictures, probably a tribe called Fertility on Instagram. <laughs> it was good. Yes. It was needed. Here's my question. How do far do you travel? To ATL. <laughs> exactly. I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> can, you, can you go to Atlanta? That <laughs> like, so are you going to be in the A anytime soon? <laughs> we made a partial business I mean, trip, life changes. You know? <laughs> look, she found, I look, I these earrings that I probably had for like 10 years that knew they were in a box. I had a lot of stuff in boxes. I think people, we just get so busy. Like life, yes. just, you just get so busy. Yes, and right, I, we just right. don't have those opportunities to just take care of ourselves. And what's the, the old adage? Like cleanliness is close to godliness. It's a godliness. And you just feel like a level of peace and calm once you can kind of tackle some of those projects. So yeah, I love it. We're going to put before and after pictures. I don't care. Y'all know I will share. <laughs> My, I don't care. I, I share everything with everybody. I typically do it anonymously, so I don't have to. Oh, but I, I me? No. Thank you. Dr. Jill Baker, For Perfectly Placed, yeah. Tribe Call Fertility. We try now because we are business owners too. That's what I said to her. We got to support Black businesses. We got to support Black women. That's what it's all about. So use me. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah. And Thank I have to you. say that that is truly a gift. Like, People, it just People don't come easy to everyone. No. Yeah, like, no. and I know what you mean in terms of like things being organized and then you feeling like that, just that sense of relief, that calmness, mm-hmm. you know, like I think there's some evidence that says like, if your environment's a mess, like your life's kind of a mess. So yeah, it, that's true it really, mm-hmm. yeah, really, it really does help. So, I mean, I'm all for it. Like I said, whenever you want to come to the A. <laughs> I would love. We'll make a girls' trip, a girls' organizational trip. We'll make it happen. I just need a reason. Yes, right. Take a break from the day to day that's happening up in here. (laughs) You know, and I just want to celebrate you and your husband. Also, I'm making ten plus years of marriage. Wait, it's going to be though. Wait, it's going to be eleven though. October, right? Coming yep. up. I just said 10 because that was like a milestone. So, yeah. Exactly. Right. And it was but achieved look, during every COVID. Year, I can relate. Every year matters, though. Every year matters. But that, every that year, ten. Year, oh, no. Oh. That year hit different. Right? And then to, like, make that milestone to during be in this year, your entire family right. on lockdown. Yeah, that was. Are we going to yes. die? Right. That was very trying. Absolutely. And a lot of marriages right. didn't make it. Divorce rates are up. A lot yeah. of marriages. Domestic violence rates are up. Absolutely. Right. You know, so to say we made it another year, we made it 10 years, I think is a huge thing. It's beautiful and it's black love. You know what I mean? And I black love, black marriage. We actually celebrated ours as well on September 19th last year as well. It was our 10 year. And we were supposed to be away. And then here's the pandemic. And it was just (laughs) all right. You're like, can I live? Come on. But, you know, right. I think it made it that much more significant. Do you know? Like, because of... Yeah, because you're like, we're still together. Right. Exactly. Like, we're still right. here. We're going to celebrate. We're going to just change this. Right. Remix our plans. That's and, it. And just celebrate right. it. That's yeah. right. Because we're alive and we're together. Absolutely. Much, much like life. Much like what I feel we do with life as Black folk. Like, I feel like we are the kings and queens of give me lemons, I'm going to make lemonade. You know Ooh, what I mean? Absolutely. Like, that I is like in that's my right. room right here. My dining room. Lemonade. Yes. Yeah. You know. Lemons make lemonade. Right, Gavin? And Jill, when you were talking yeah. about adoption, the first thing that came to mind for me is that it would almost appear as though we don't necessarily adopt in this, in our community, in the Black community. But we do. I think that in the traditional way, we don't. Mm-hmm. We may not. Our numbers mm-hmm. may not be strong. Like mm-hmm. through the books and through the, the books. Formal, pro- oh my! Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean. But like, so I know my so grandmother. Right. 
You know what I mean? Absolutely. I know my grandmother had how many other kids? You know, like, think about families mom. and black right. families and how many times it's like, oh, auntie took her or cousin so-and-so took her. It's not, you're right. I'm not flying to another it's country so to bring a child. It's so part of our home. culture. But we do. So it is. It is. We're not going to go through the formal process of adopting someone. Like, yeah, even my grandmother, mm-hmm. my aunt was her adopted sister, my aunt Florence. But if you, our Florence looks just like my grandmother, my aunt Barbara, my aunt Lottie. Then I think I found out like when I was older that she was adopted and she wasn't biologically related. And I was like, oh, insane. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. you're right. So, you're right. so my oldest is my sister's biological daughter. And when she was born, okay. she wasn't in a position to take care of her. So Sean and I were actually engaged when she was born. And it was kind of like, can we talk about your engagement for a second? Because I was, can we talk about that? Can we go back there? Yeah. Can we just talk about it for one second before we get to the heavy stuff? Yes. No, you tell it. Okay. So did you know? Oh, did I know that he was going to propose? Yeah. Your husband? Like everybody knew. We all knew. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. We all went on a couple's trips. We went to Germany, Paris. We were in Amsterdam. Like, it was amazing. We are in Paris, hanging out. I mean, we're in Paris, so we have to hit the Eiffel Tower. So we're on the Eiffel after. Tower. And at the top. At the top. All the way to the top. And then I just see, like, like a, a, a sea opens. And Deshaun, like, drops down and proposed. And I don't, where did those people come from? congratulations and like different languages it was beautiful like it was like I felt, it felt like something out of a movie so it was amazing we and then to have yeah. the team and we all there, there to be supportive and right. share that moment with yeah yes. it was amazing it was so and that's beautiful. like pre-instagram y'all okay so i just love that right there right it Correct. just tells me how real it is you know Correct. what i'm saying right wow. yeah, nobody's gram nobody yeah right no and the wow. whole thing like I don't think I told my parents for a few days because we were like, I couldn't get to like an international phone and we were traveling. Right. So I think we were six I think hours until we got at, back to Germany at Annika's house. Right. And then yeah. I called the time them. difference. Yeah. So then you have this beautiful, amazing, elaborate engagement. Yeah. <laughs> to come home to now your my family just drama. Right. Just okay. completely like this implosion of, yeah, just overwhelmingness, and it's like back to like do? reality of your do, family right. and your and family then at dynamic. The time, and it was I just got engaged. Like we haven't laid a foundation as a couple, like as a mar- like as a married couple. I don't think I have the capacity for this. Like I don't know. And it, many nights, like I'm crying to my dad and my mom, and I'm like. I feel bad. Like, I feel like I have to do something, but do you do something knowing you may not do it well? So at that point, it was just like, Mm. I just can't. And then my mother stepped in. So for two years, she was with my mother. And then it got to a point where like, you've raised your children. Like you, you didn't sign up to do daycare and pre-K and so for me to kind of see her going through what she was going through at 60 years old, it's just like, you're, you're not built for this. And then my sister was still there kind of in and out with like a, a bit of a, a negative perspective. Like you would kind of come in and say what to do, what not to do and how to do it and then fly back out. So just the, the dynamic was just really, really weird. But so that's how we ended up in Jersey. So it was interesting you say that, Joe. I remember Deshaun and I were looking to buy a house and it was like, I was saying that to, to um, Sonora before before we got yeah, on. Yeah, so this is how we guys having to move. Like the whole state got involved. There was a whole scene. We tried to get her case transferred to Philly, to Pennsylvania, and they wouldn't or couldn't. Like who knows what the turnaround time would have been. And I'll never forget. And I'm pregnant with Jordan. And I say to Deshaun, no, what? No, no. When we moved to Jersey, Jordan just turned one. And Jordan and Journey are like 17, 16 months apart or something. Not even. I think it's like 15. But I said to him, 
we have to do something and we have to do it now. And I don't know what that is. And I'm like, do we, and I own my house in Philly. I'm like, do we just I go? Yes, you did. Do we she go? owned her house <laughs> I said, I said, can we go and can we just rent the house here? He didn't skip a beat. We will figure it out. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So I'm he like, literally who, who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Right into the right into right. But honestly, I feel like that's how it goes. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's, I feel like holding their breath for the big day, and it's mm-hmm. like, and then everything magically changes. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know what I mean? And, like, and when he was raised, it was mm-hmm. him, his sister, and his twin cousins. So for him, like that extended family, like that, like that, that was natural for do. him. Wow. Right. So right. he didn't miss a beat. Yeah. Wow. So if he didn't, maybe so for him having that experience, I'm sure that it had, had a positive impact. impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Because another person might have been like, you know, we just got married and we, like, you know, our financial situation is fine and you're pregnant with your first biological he, child. And he did not know. He has been such a saint with mm. everything around. I mean, he's an amazing father, but the way he stepped in with her and the situation. But and- they, right. And then another thing is people are like, that's not my biological child. Sometimes some men are like, I don't. Mm-hmm. There's no. Why should no I do. There's no line drawn in the sand. There's no his kids and everybody's mm. thing. It's equal playing field for everybody. So just to give this some context, this is your sister's child. Correct. Your sister was unable to provide stability correct for your now daughter correct and you were watching your mom trying to pick up the pieces fill in mm-hmm. all the gaps as black mothers do absolutely and you and were like, right, no, mothers. right something's gotta change was there I'm something like, that happened in that can't do this yeah what was like that straw for you um I think just seeing the dynamic between my mom and my sister and how it was a constant need to override every decision that my mom made. Like I'm her mom, but I'm not raising her like to constantly be the authority role when you're not here the majority of the time. And just that constant dynamic, that power struggle, like to see her just in limbo and just I didn't want to see her have to deal with that, like on a constant. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you've done everything that you can do. We will, we will take it from here because I have a much different dynamic with her and that I can shut certain things down and build boundaries where they're necessary. There were no boundaries between the two of them. It was just very unhealthy. So it just made sense. Like we were growing a family. We had the capacity eventually. I mean, in our house now we have the space. It just made sense. It made sense on paper. Right. Right. But the behind mm, the scenes stuff seems, is what right. people don't talk about. Right. So then the, the power struggle with my mom having to be in the middle of her two daughters who now aren't at odds, but you're not my favorite person. And I feel like you've made poor choices. Mm-hmm. And I hope and pray you get yourself together. But that doesn't entitle you to my household. And you don't have free reign here. So just trying to blend those worlds and do what's mm-hmm. best for my daughter, but then still provide a level of engagement to the rest of your family. You're conflicted so many times and with so many things, especially when people don't respect what you're doing. My sister and I had many, many arguments, many disagreements around what you're not going to do and how you're going to tell me to do this and how. Mm. What was your relationship with your sister like before the adoption? It was strained. Well, some, again, context. My sister and I are 11 years apart. So we didn't grow up That's together. a big gap. Yeah. It's a huge yes. gap. So yeah. when she was born, I moved with my dad and my stepmom when I was 15. So we weren't raised together, essentially. So I was always there, still kind of popped in and out, but like went to high school in undergrad in a different state. So we were never like, this but still had like like listen we're sisters so if you need anything I'm here I'll come through but a major struggle with like drug and alcohol abuse like that's pretty prevalent in my family and she fell victim to that and to try Mm -hmm. to reason with someone when 
they're under the influences. It's just like, yeah. like, I don't have the band. I can't raise your child and be your mental health advocate. Like you've got to get mm. yourself. And I think mm. those are the things that when people step up in a family and you're like, oh yeah, I'll take him. I'll take her. No big deal. You don't think about, you're taking this adult along for the ride with you. And I didn't sign up for that. Oh yeah. That's very powerful. Oh that. yeah. But you still have to figure out a way that if they're in a safe space or a good space, that you allow that relationship to flourish, if you can, for the child's sake. So it's almost like having like a child with another person, like almost co-parent. Co-parent with the biological parent. And you don't talk, like when people take, when you adopt or raise a family member's child, you don't have those conversations and they're so necessary. Because I, I feel like my mom was always in the middle and she, ne- like, we're both her daughters. And I feel like she always felt like she couldn't choose. And even though I felt like I was right the majority of the time, I understand her position. It's still her child. It was just tough. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Still her child. Yeah. You always kind of like want the best. Yeah. Then it's like, that. see, I watched that mm. kind of go on a little bit with my own father and his mm-hmm. own drug and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, my father too. Yeah. That's another thing we were talking about. Present. Because, yeah, right. it's still an issue. And, yeah. and I know I watched my grandmother always kind of straddle the fence between, you know, being a mom, never turning your back on your child, but then mm-hmm. also enabling. It was always yeah. that. My you know what I mean? Yeah. My mother wears the biggest enabling crown. Yeah. And it's so frustrating. And yeah. Like you never know what you would do in that position, and you pray to God you never have to. But have to it's be like, in that position, right? Come on, right? Yeah, because after a while, it's like you want any and all obstacles to be out of the way so the person could hit whatever rock bottom they need to make hit, their right. change. But it's like if you're going to continue to support and why bail why? out, that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, You're right. You're all absolutely right. Because even in my dad's situation, he never got clean because he wasn't allowed to hit rock bottom. He had to hit rock bottom. That's when he did what he had to do to get clean. Fortunately, before he passed away. So you're you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. And same with mine. My grandmother actually passed. Father found her when she passed because he had her debit card and he was bringing it to her. So she closed her eyes without ever seeing that dream realized. You know what I mean? So right, yeah. It's a it's a big battle, and it's something that we deal with tremendously in our community. When you mm-hmm. said, Alicia, that this is a problem in your family is rampant in mine too, and just now with my generation, like we're starting to break those chains. Absolutely, right. You know what I mean? But right. I think you're right. So my mom had her own addiction issues. So I think the enabling probably stems from her understanding the cycles of addiction and feeling like, well, I know it all too well. So I'm connected to her in a way. So who would Mm. I be to, yeah, the cycles of it are just devastating for sure. You know, and then I think about, because you're trying to, like you said, co-parent in a way, because this is your sister. Mm -hmm. It's It's definitely co-parenting. It's like, it's just another form of co-parenting. It is. It's definitely, it is. It's like, you don't want her out of her life because she has a right. right how do you navigate through that? So, yes, I want to, yeah, I want you to elaborate on that because yeah. there are people who would not even bother and would say, oh, well, I am raising your child. Right. I do not have to let you have Correct. any input at all. So early on, before we made the adoption official, did a name change, got a new birth certificate, she had rights through the state and had visitation. So we had to adhere to that, but she was very young. She still had to be like under six, under five. And we attempted to have an arrangement after everything became official and it wasn't mandatory. So I attempted to try to keep things going so she could stay connected in her life. Unfortunately, she has been in prison for a number of years. So. If we adopted her when she was four, she's 11 now. I think my sister just got out of prison. So I haven't had to. Wow. And the conversations like right before she went away would be very, they were bad. 
Like I would be in the car and I would come out of present day, look at what God has done, take it back to Alicia, like 1998, I would lose it on her. Like the two and I would be like this. And it's- You go back to that 90s (laughs) version of yourself. It's still triggering. Yes, it's It's triggering. triggering. You feel like, look at everything that I'm doing. Look at every, like the strain I put on my marriage, the resources we're putting it forth, the therapy sessions. Like I'm doing everything that I can possibly do and it's never enough for you. And again, she's fighting for her child. And however screwed up she is and messed up she is, and that's all she knows and all she wants. So you understand it. But I can't, you can't come into my household and turn it upside down. But by popping in and out and levels of disappointment and you're going to come. So I don't know. So she recently got out. She called me on my birthday, which was January. And I missed the call. It was like two calls. And then my mom told me where she is in the halfway house. So that's how I knew it was her because I saw the area code. So we haven't spoken, but I know it's coming. So now these conversations are like, what do we do? How does she approach us? What's going to happen? So I'm waiting with bated breath because I know what's coming and I have no idea how I'm going to handle it. And my con- my biggest concern is I don't need you knowing where I live. She's the type of yeah. person that, and was, so let me say was, so I don't know what type of growth or regression has taken place during your rehabilitation, but I could say no. And then you still show up at my house. Now we have to let people know People might be like, what? That's crazy. No. That's not, <laughs> so and again, those of us like who you're in families, no. you're entitled mm-hmm. to certain behavior. There was a point when me and Gamal were at our PA house and my mm-hmm. father was still in like the depths of his addiction. Mm-hmm. He did not know our address. See? That's for real. Because and what happens is doesn't have our address they right show yeah. up. They show up. Jill, you know and my you are dad not showed up. prepared. My dad showed up here at the Greyhound station. I remember because we had to talk about that for days. You'll have to talk to Sonora, we ain't doing nothing. And if you don't have anyone in your family, we shutting it down. Because I understand. Yeah. Right. They will pop up on you. Not in the right state of mind. Not in the right state of mind. And then it's like, we need need preparation. Like, no, you can't And then it's your daughter too. No. Like, the habit. Hey, tribe. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, don't forget to follow us so you can be alerted each time we drop new content. Thank you for listening. I remember being that little girl and my dad showing up late at night, banging on the door, completely inebriated, intoxicated, seeing them in that state and like a crazy person. Mm -hmm. Right. And you got to go back to sleep. And that's all on your mind. Mm-hmm. So right. you understand. You can't get those why. images. At yeah, the can't get them you out of your head. Those images right. out of your mind. Right. So right. it's like, I understand the the wantingness to shield because, Absolutely. you know, like you've done all this work mm-hmm. to keep the child on the right mm-hmm. track. And then now here is this. And does, does and, your, so do you yeah, refer to her as like, your daughter? And yes. does she call you mom? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And um, we told yeah, her right. her story. Oh. On her ninth birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because what I didn't want, again, is to be another big Black family secret. That's how this whole conversation got started. <laughs> and, you, and you don't know. Like these like, secrets. Stop with like, the secrets. I would never, I, feel, I would never want to set her up like that. So a conversation around how you came to be, what it is, how you were the best pregnancy I had. I ain't get no stretch marks with you. Like, I love that right. we have that transparency. Oh. So it's not like you're 17 years old and I give you this earth shattering news. And then imagine you don't talk to us for three, four years because you're so right. heartbroken that we would keep something. No, she knows. I recently got her into therapy. I was sharing this with Jill because I want her to be able to process and understand and effectively communicate. And I don't think she is ready or has the tools yet. She's 11 to really effectively express all the things she's feeling. Like when she's around my biological mom, she'll ask questions, but she doesn't to us directly. 
and I encourage it. So I'm like, well, let me get you over here, like to have these conversations. And I want you to just have the tools. If you need to know, ask. So we try to keep dialogue going. Like this is not a one and done. So we encourage her to just, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, ask. I just said, so this is how this whole thing got started. We just had lunch and we're talking about this like a month ago. And I said to, I'm probably going to cry before this episode is over. But because this, I mean, it's just very personal to me because as y'all know, you know, my mom was adopted. Y'all know my mom. My mother didn't find out until she was 17 when her adopted mother died of breast cancer and her adopted family like kicked her out of the house told her, oh, by the way, you were adopted. You can't stay here. You can't keep anything. And fortunately, my mom was adopting, was dating my dad at the time. And my grandmother, my grandfather let her move into their apartment in Dykeman Projects at 17. Then four years later, three, four years later, then she got pregnant with me. But my mom, you know, I asked my mom, like, did you ever feel like something was wrong or something was off. And this is, you know, before my mom, you know, we had many talks about this before she had Huntington's because she can't really communicate about these things now. But she was like, I always felt out of place. I always felt like I was different or I was an outcast and I didn't know why. And she just said, I always felt like I was bullied and I was made fun of and all my cousins and everyone made fun of me. And I never kind of knew why. So she said when she was told that she was adopted, then kind of like her childhood then kind of made sense. But nevertheless, it was just very traumatic, of course, for my mom. And so she always kind of felt like an outsider. And even when we moved to the Bronx and moved into like our three family house, everyone still in my house was my dad's biological relative. So my mom didn't have anybody. And so with my dad's drug addiction then what ended up happening when you ladies know is that I ended up being like at 10 my mother's advocate because my mom had nobody else to speak up for her so my grandmother enabling my dad's drug addiction didn't matter you know when he the cops came to the house or when my mom and dad got into a fight and I'd be like okay grandma you know daddy probably shouldn't have slapped mommy Maybe the cops, when they came to the house at 10 years old and realizing later that I wasn't supposed to be in that role at 10 years old. But I naturally felt like I had to advocate and I had to stick up for my mother because she didn't have anybody. And because of everything that happened, you know, in her childhood and her being adopted and kind of not knowing, you know, so I was like... Yeah. That's your mom. You're gonna yeah. ride with mommy. Like, I feel like I that know, is a natural. It's still a lot. It puts you in a very adult no, position. So then I was a child's place at all. Parentified child. So you all, you know, you understand that your psychology yeah. Yeah. <laughs> degrees and training that, you know, from lots of therapy, then I, you know, found out I was a parentified child. I did not have a regular childhood because of my mother's issues with her being adopted, not dealing with that her depression, then my dad's, you know, substance abuse. And I had to make a lot of decisions at a very young age that no, a normal child. (laughs) Not that they had to do those things. You know something, Jill, I feel that our generation, I feel like this is the story. This is the norm. And it's just not talked about widely, but Right. All of us had these stories. It was the right. our, gener- our generation. Right. It was no, the crack absolutely. era. Crack epidemic. I don't know a household that wasn't touched. Right. You know what I mean? You're if right. Doom the home. If you're, that's what I mean. At least we're talking about. If you lived in an inner city, your family was probably your family somebody was touched, affected even if it wasn't by your, drugs I, or something. I right. distinctly remember the conversation of my dad putting my mom on blast around her drug addiction when I was in the fifth grade. Mm. And. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I just remember sitting there eating dinner and dropping the fork, like, wait a minute. And kind of going back in between the two of them. Like I knew again, Jill, similar to your mom, you like know. I knew something was off. Something was wrong. But right. I didn't know, like obviously what exactly. I knew what her condition was when she was versus when she wasn't, but I couldn't identify that. And then I'm like, I literally can replay it in my mind like it happened yesterday. Yes. Mm-hmm. All those things, right? And that, All those that like, brings experiences. me to right. your daughter because right. here 
you're raising her, you were trying to foster a relationship with her and her birth mom, but then now she goes to jail. So now this is like unleashing this on her again. She doesn't know. So what I've okay. never mm-hmm. done okay. is shared anything negative because that's your story to tell her because what mm. you won't do is say, I've painted you in a negative light. So anything so that has been, I don't tell her real information. I just say, I give her a base of she couldn't, she can't. Sometimes when you're sick, like I don't give her the real deal because I feel like that's not my story. And what you won't do is say that I've put you in this negative light and told your daughter all these negative things. You explain where you've been and what you've done and your life's history. So I do share things that like she can't take care of you or she's not. No, that's just on another level because the average person would not do that. I don't, because I, 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 I never want, she will never say that about me. Like I, I did these, I said and did these negative things. Nope. That's your story. You share. Also, you, you don't want to poison her. You don't want to poison your daughter like yep. against her. It's yep. like, you will figure it out. It's you, not will, gonna... you will see it for yourself. Won't yep. be that and long. Maybe at some point when you connect, she'll be in a different space and a different person, yes. but I will never give. Nope. I don't tell her. So she has no idea where she is or where she's been. Okay. Mm. Okay. So. By the menu, it is a blessing because sometimes just being removed, you know, I got there was a period in time. So I got hit by a car on Mother's Day when I was and I was at my dad's because it was like spring break week. So I was over there and he was on a binge and he sent me to the store to get some cookies. Mm -hmm. But they lived in Brooklyn on Farragut and Troy. And the store he wanted me to go to was across Utica. I was eight, y'all. I had just learned to cross the street in general. Like, and not that I was able to do it, but like, I just learned like to look both ways. Like not proficient at all. I'm not proficient. Like, you know, I'm not on the streets. I might be able to do it one way. You know, I don't know. Somebody has to watch me. But he sent me across Utica and I was like, I can't do it. We got into a whole argument. And he's like, I'm your father. You listen to what I tell you. And I'm like, my mother said I can't cross the street. So I go and I get hit and it was a huge thing, but they knew he was on the drugs. I didn't really know at that point in time. I knew like how you say you knew certain behaviors, right, right. but you didn't know like what I know it your was. mother flipped out. I know my oh, mother God, she out. tried to kill oh, him. And then I said, <laughs> right, I know she did. Oh my When they found me, I was in shock and I couldn't walk at first, but it was just shock. Right. So, but they didn't know. So they were doing all the diagnostic tests. Like it was that I rolled up on the window. I lost consciousness. Like it was really bad. And that was the straw that broke the camel's that back. Was well, that was the last time I had seen him or gone over there. Like, I think I went a period of four years, saw him again at 12, didn't see him again until 25. Because it was like, wow, it had to be removed. There was, it was like a, Slippery slope after that, and like everybody kind of knew the drugs at that point. So once I couldn't go over there, and it just there was just too you know the popping up at school in the neighborhood. Your yeah. it was just so many different unhealthy things that happened that after a while we were like you know what we got to completely kind of block this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember my mom still never told me that it was drugs I was starting to put it together myself right, but one right, of my right, cousins right. <laughs> said to me she's like your dad's on crack and I'm like what <laughs> what, you right. what do you mean what's that oh, well, right. I heard my mommy your mommy talking and I'm like oh and I just remember like sitting with that for a minute and I remember like the commercials like say no to drugs right. and all that <laughs> like, right. like all and this the stuff was playing in my head fried yeah, and I'm saying to myself, that. and that's why I got hit by that car. That's what I said right. to myself. That is yeah. why. And I was like, I don't want to talk to him anymore. I made that decision. Like, right. I was like, I'm done. Because you endangered me. I know Absolutely. what it is right now. Yeah. So what you have effectively done is you really have put her in a position to where she will be able to make the decision for herself. Right. And when she wants to be bothered. Because when I was 25 and I wanted to see him again, or 24, and I wanted to see him again, that was on me. And yeah. I sought that out. At that point, at right, that point. exactly. Yeah, but I kind of right. like, even as a child, I kind of knew I needed to block that out so that yeah. way it didn't continue to bother right. me. Right. Yeah, you know? sometimes it can be, yep. um, 
much more of a burden and a stressor. Like at one point I stopped communication with my mom for a while. Like the relationship was just very toxic. Toxic. Um, Like I can't, like this energy in this space. And obviously this is like before therapy when you have the tools, but I'm just like, I just can't. I can't do this. And I knew that. So I do feel a level of comfort that she's not being exposed to like this roller coaster ride. And that that's exactly what it is. I think you'll be developed and more mature to be able to recognize and see her for whoever she is once you're introduced. So I do, I find comfort in that for sure. Yeah. Um, But I'm I'm not excited about what could potentially happen like in the teenage years, depending on Mm -hmm. when it kind of reemerges. So we'll see. But we can say this, you have the tools in place. Because yes. you've already got her right. therapy. You already have that, right. You're, You're already ahead yep. of the game. Yep. You're already ahead of the game. I like wish I had been in therapy at 11. I wish when I told Jill. my mom I needed to go to therapy, she didn't laugh at me. I was telling them all that the other day. I was like, I knew I needed to be in therapy I at just, a young age. I didn't and it was shut down. down. Was shut down. Going to therapy. Our parents should have been in therapy. They were well, not no, thinking I'm, about I'm, mental health. I'm, they all need to be. My mom definitely needs to be. She was depressed and had Listen, multiple suicide attempts. She should have been in therapy. I personally feel that. But I knew I needed therapy too. All black they, people. They were like, no. Need therapy. Period. I feel like it should Can be. Can we just say that? A tribe called Fertility PSA for this episode. All black people need therapy okay we said yeah because right. this stuff is not normal y'all do and, what you want you know that. what I mean and we'll laugh it off but it's not like and not everyone can break cycles like how you have Felicia like it takes so it much takes so much work and so much work courage absolutely. work and time absolutely and vulnerability that everyone is not willing to do the work to get to that place because a part of my heart is torn it's like you want to pass judgment on your sister to a degree but then at the same time, it's like, what were her odds? You know what I mean? It's like, well, you were the one it? who and made I, it out, Alicia. You know what I mean? Like, like an episode of Survivor's Remorse, Remorse where yes. I was the one that got out. You you okay. got out. I was the one that got you out. You got out. And we all were it could have been me. Out. Like, she and I, like the same trajectory. And wow. it's only by the grace of God and the fact that I moved into a different environment with my dad and my stepmom um, wow. at 15 that changed my entire life. Wow. Because she and I would have would both be products of our mother and our environment. So and Alicia, I have to commend you because it's not easy to take on someone else's responsibility. No, no it's not. And yet it and to not. make it your own. So not even just I'm gonna help, I'm gonna take care of you, I'm gonna step up, but like right. make her your own. Yeah. And you essentially broke the cycle and you did it the same way how you got out. You know what I mean? Like there was an out for you and you made an out for her. For her. Yeah, absolutely. It's just one of those things where you still have to, like I was, Jill and I, when we had lunch and I was, we were talking like the therapy for me, I still feel this level of guilt. Like, am I doing enough? Is she good? Am I the best parent I can be? Am I the best person for her? So you still feel like I've taken you and put you in this environment. I have to do my due diligence to make sure I can stand up and be like, you're constantly holding this mirror up to yourself, which is not always pretty. It's It's not, it's very, it's very overwhelming. It's very trying, but you just want to do the best you can do for the situation you've. From looking at that mirror. If we look, if we really look. Yeah. The self-reflection. That's it right there. That's it. Looking right in the mirror. People don't even want to look. Look. So that's true. No. Kudos That's to you true. for even looking and doing yeah. it on or a knowing basis. you needed needed you to needed to look. Yeah, we all need to look. Yeah, yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah. And knowing you what you needed to do to change this pattern and this you know dynamic. I feel like where we all are right now is that our children are going to benefit from the work that we all are doing for ourselves. Yeah individually and yeah. the work that we're doing in our marriages because yeah. that is key and that matters 200 percent yeah and also what we are doing for our children and and what we're doing to set them up differently so you know they can 
cope with life so much more emotionally yeah um healthier than we had to like we didn't have a choice I think for our parents like drugs and alcohol was the relief like there was no mental health awareness and for real none of this they did the I mean on a on a real I mean they did the best that they could you know they really also the best they could do as soon as I had a child I looked at my mom like a right, you're like, different person. Oh, okay. like you are nothing more than a woman. This is doing the best right. that you can do. They do like this the is what that, that is. Do. They're doing the That's best. That's all you could do. It's so humbling. Oh my gosh! Absolutely. Right. What they have, what they know, and mm-hmm. what they have. Yeah, right. did the I mean, best you could do. They could. Yeah. And once you get past that, I mean, yeah, I mean, me twenty years of therapy, so going, but. A lot of people get hung up on my parent did this, my parent did that, and now I'm like this. And yeah, it's like, no. okay, yes, we understand that, but you yeah. cannot use that as an excuse to have nope. negative behaviors, negative patterns, or however you feel you can be in this world. You can't keep blaming your parents. Accountability. Accountability. But also empowerment. And like you're giving someone else your power. You right. It's your life. It's your life. Right. Whether stop. it's a parent or not, why give them Especially the power? Especially if you're 40 and up, stop saying because my mom did. I'm it's so true. Stop. Yeah. Stop giving I, them I, the power. I can't, I can't do the self pity, the woe is me. Come on. Let's get this together. Pieces. That's and, and, that's, <laughs> and if you can't do it by yourself, then that's what it's for. Yeah. Just, but just let's just stop. Let's just stop that. Yeah, no. I think, Please, people. Please, bad people. I think the biggest thing that I I could offer to anyone that is in a similar situation with a family member, a close friend, I think just transparency with the tiny human, the little person. I feel like they deserve a baseline of information around their truth. Don't just brush it under the rug and everybody's whispering at the barbecues. Oh, that's so what's always going. No, just talk Mm. to them. Our people, we do that. We do. Yes. We stop do. doing that. Let's Don't stop making that. these kids and their circle. Let's stop making this stuff a secret. Don't do that. That's where you start. That's where it goes wrong. Correct. Like it's nothing. Not, it's no shame uh-uh. in. And I think when we communicated that to her, it was like it's nothing shameful about being adopted. And I'm like, that's not something we share and tell people. I'm like, but it's not a negative thing. I said, if you want to share that, share it. I don't care. I said, I'm not going to go run around and target and say, this is my biological daughter. This is my adopted daughter. I say, you're all my daughters and my son. So it doesn't matter. I said, but if you want to share that information, I support you 100%. Don't ever feel like your story is something that you should shy away from, or you shouldn't be proud of, or you, that it's, it's a secret and you don't want anybody to know. It's not. You, yeah. Already took the shame out of the, yeah. it's, it's, Owning there's no shame. stories. Owning our stories and our truth and authenticity. That's why this show, owning (laughs) our stories, seriously, because absolutely for so long I've carried so much shame. We all have have. so much shame with regard to infertility. But then, like, what is that all rooted in? Just shame in general that we've experienced throughout our lives. And we have got to stop it in our community. So any anyone who has the strength to be a cycle breaker. You know, yes. I'm, I, I have we to commend you. We commend we, you. Thank you. And thank you Give so you much all, for sharing all the praises. Stories. I just want you we to come back for a part two. Yes, I yes, would like this, to talk yes, about we got, we need oh, yeah. the blended family aspect. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. We haven't oh, talked like about that, that yet on the what show. What it looks like now. Outside now. Of, right. You know. Right. Right. Yes. No, I like oh, that. Yes. I would love to share an update around how she's doing, how things are going. Who she is. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like we're already having those conversations around like teenage years and, and menstrual cycles and high school and middle school. So I'm, listen, and she's the oldest, so she catches it. Yes, talk, she's the oldest. We talk about God. And she just she looks at me. Like, she's oh so God. beautiful. She's so oh, amazing. She's so sweet. She, she is a very sweet girl. Oh my she gosh. Is a very good. When all of them sister. are together, oh, she is she is super sweet. She's super yes, she responsible. Is. I'm very proud of her for sure. Because anybody wait till else, she's 18. Wait till she's 18. No, I no, no that's not her. Shit. <laughs> I know, but right, right. She's, she's, a, she's on me. No. She's gonna own the world. I just can't yes. wait to see it. She is. 
anytime the girls get frustrated around something, I just walk up to them and I'm like, who run the world? Girl. Girls. <laughs> if, if my son hears me, he'll be like, girls. And I'm like, <laughs> don't, don't be a hater. We can't leave the mad boy. No, they can't leave the mad boy. Boys, yeah. why are you always talking about girls and black girls, rock and black girls? I said because yeah. you know we have to lift up the girls and black girls more. We We're do. gonna lift you up too, but we we have to. Lift we do. Up the I girls. just I I just want her and all little black girls to understand how amazing they are and their power. I, I didn't understand, or maybe when I was that age, my mom was busy. But nobody was was reassuring me to tell my me how I'm busy. Three I was. Jobs, so I don't. How, you, you know, know what I mean? I like I think just to plant she those ain't have time. <laughs> just makes such a huge difference. Y'all like, know my our mom parents didn't have, have any time. time. We'll they talk sure about did. that later. But you know, my mom ain't. Yeah, we will talk about that later. Right? Okay. <laughs> mama Michelle ain't. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> that's, a whole <laughs> that's a whole. That's a chocolate <laughs> facility after hours conversation. <laughs> my mama Michelle. Right. Listen, you know the, you the wisdom of Mama too. Michelle. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's what, a good show. Yeah, what, the, the title of that could be One Hundred, because she would keep it <laughs> all the way. Oh no, I told y'all. That's my mom too, though. Two or four. Yeah. I'm telling you. Ugh. Listen. <laughs> like, did I ask for it. that piece raw, of advice? Raw and uncut. Yeah. Period. Um, and rightfully so. When we look at their yes. environments, you know what I mean. Right. So, right. understanding. I feel like. One of the like tenets to healing lies in the transfer story for me. I know for me, it did. For me, it brought about a lot of healing between my mother and I's relationship. Just her sharing her story. It also protected me from certain things growing up. I'm just such a proponent for everyone sharing their story because I know what kind of freedom that's given me and what kind of healing that's given me. So thank you so Absolutely. much. Love you, sister. This is awesome. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. So thank you all for tuning in this week. I'd like to thank our guest, Mrs. Alicia Stevenson, once more for joining us today and sharing her experience. Alicia, could you please let us, our listeners know where they can find you and connect with you? I am on Instagram at perfectlyplaced, the number one, or you can email me perfect for the number four organizing.com. Awesome. And thank you again, Absolutely. Alicia. Thank you for listening to our show today. Please follow A Tribe Called Fertility on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. Feel free to DM us with your questions and thoughts or to share your fertility story. For more information on your beautiful and brilliant podcast hosts, visit www.atribecalledfertility.com. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. It really helps the show and we welcome the feedback.